Welcome everyone to Heroes of Gaming, the podcast channel that talks with the people who make the games we love. We now continue with the incredible interview and wonderful legacy of Rebecca Ann Heinemann. Throughout video game history, your name has been synonymous with the invention and innovation of new software, hardware, and techniques. Also, some of the most impactful creative moments in video game history. Bard's Tale 3, from, from our research, was the first game to include women yeah. as characters. Yeah, that was my uh, screw you to Michael Cranford. Because <laughs> when I was working on Bard's Tale 1, I was complaining that there was no female characters. Not, not even with the protagonists and so forth. Every character in there was male. Kind of like the same problem when you look at this cast of uh, Lord of the Rings. Almost everybody in there is male. You only like a handful of female characters. Right. But it's only because some people are misogynist. And mm -hmm. This guy, I can flat out say, is a misogynist. Um, because what he did, I asked him, why aren't there female characters in this game? And he just turned to me, to my face, and said, girls don't play these games. Whoa. And I'm like, I played these games, right? And but you're saying this to me, um, okay? And then when Bar's Tale Two was coming around, um, I asked him again, and he goes, "Oh, there's not a space in the heart, the floppy this. There's not, I, oh, not sure. yeah. in many ways, he was actually right because the development of Bar's Tale Two is a story of itself, and it was one where because it was already a falling out between Interplay and Cranford, he just wanted to get the game out because he was contractually obligated to do it. Mm. Um, and that was that. But when Bart's Tale 3 came into my territory, um, because for one, Bart's Tale Apple 2GS had female characters. I mean, it had the ability to female characters, I just didn't have the art for it. So therefore, while the engine supported it, I didn't have the extra abilities because... Again, no art. So it's one of those features that was disabled, but the foundation was there. So then when I did Bart's Tale 3 for the Apple IIe, um, the first thing I asked for the artist to do is, I want a female warrior. He drew me a female warrior, took him a couple of days to do it. I put it in the game, reactivated the code, debugged it. And within two weeks of starting the project, I had female, I was running around with female warriors. Awesome. Awesome. Because yeah. the, the key is, it's not just putting in feet art. I had to put in a pronoun system. So the game had to say, he attacks, she attacks, it attacks, or name attacks. There's four pronouns. It's he, she, genderless, i.e. it, or name. As in, you know, the almighty, Tarjan, he beats you. And it always uses the name. And wow. once that was all implemented, there you go. Just so ahead of your time, so uh, important uh, the impact that that leaves, not only to game creators, but to, to gamers out there uh, being able to not just imagine uh, themselves in the game, but, but can really portray uh, someone they'd like to be, like to become. That's, that's so wonderful. Your next company is Logicware. Yes. You're you're the chief technology officer. You're the lead programmer. Could you tell us just a little bit about how this company formed and what you what you had planned to do when you built it? Well, it formed that after 11 and a half years of interplay, I was just really tired of the crap that was happening in the company. I was I was watching the company being driven into the ground, and no one would hear listen to me. Um, mm -hmm. Then there was a falling out. 
and I had a falling out with the upper management. And at that point, we parted ways. Um, with that, I was like, well, what am I going to do now? Because for me, you know, I was now in my early 30s. One third of my life was at Interplay. So it was a shock for me um, right. not being with Interplay because we were there for the beginning. But a bunch of other people from Interplay thought that the way I was treated was kind of shit. And they offered to say, hey, where are you going? Um, I want to follow you. So I went ahead and took some of the money I got from the um, stock sales and so forth. And with that, I used that seed money to form Logicware. Uh, I got a business partner, somebody who was working with already doing Apple to peripherals of all things. <laughs> um, but afterwards, um, form Logicware. And that's where we did games like Defiance, Astral Rock, uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang's Adventures in Tinkertown, um, a bunch of Mac play ports. And then we actually started publishing our own Mac games. Um, we did, uh, and we not only ported them to the Mac, but we also boxed them and sold them in stores. So I know all about how it is to sell stuff in stores. Jazz Jackrabbit 2, um, Zork Brand Inquisitor, Shattered Steel, Killing Time. I mean, all these games, you know, they were boxed with Logicware branding and put in stores and so forth. So that was, um, that was fun. Yeah. But then around 1999, I had a falling out with my business partner. Mm. And that's when the company called Contraband Entertainment was formed. In which basically everybody but my business partner went into this new company. And we then started doing things like Sin, um, Heavy Metal Fact 2, Heroes of Might and Magic, Free the Wolf Age. Uh, I mean, it just, there's games, just so many titles. And, and I have to say, I have to say, Heroes of Might and Magic is, is my favorite game. I wouldn't have been able to play that game if it wasn't for you. You know? Oh, thank and, you. So many games, just like keep forgetting. I mean, literally, I've, I've worked on so many games, I actually forget. It's like, oh, yeah, I actually worked on that too. So, in doing some research, we saw that the internet was buzzing about your experience with the game Doom. Yes. It was like 1995, 96. 1995, I was doing a bunch of 3DO games, um, for, at first for Interplay, then doing ports for other companies. Um, but games like Wolfenstein 3D. Um, Shadow in Kingdom of the Far Reaches, Casper the Friendly Ghost, Battle Chess, Siberia. Um, so I was churning out really high quality 3DO games. Well, since I had already done Wolfenstein 3D, uh, which was a really well received game, um, it sold quite a few copies on the 3DO. Um, I was then approached by 3DO that, hey, would I be interested in doing Doom? And I said, sure, I would love to do a port of Doom to the 3DO. Um, you know, give me about uh, three to six months to make a brand new engine that's made specifically for the 3DO and then take the assets over and build a game, kind of like what was done for Doom for Nintendo 64 and, uh, the Nint and also Doom for the Super Nintendo, because both of them did not use the actual Doom code. They just used their own engine, but Doom assets. Right, um, right, right. Well, I was thinking that that's what we would have to do to do this on the 3DO, which... Had I had things run the proper way, that's exactly the way I would have done the port. Mm -hmm. But that's not how it worked. Um, turns out that the person who bought the rights for the 3D version of Doom was somebody who had no experience whatsoever in the video game business and had no business being in the video game business. And really honestly believed that all you had to do to make a 3D version of the game was take the PC game, Put it on a CD, 
put it in the 3DO and it should just boot. <laughs> what does he think is magic or something? What, what, no, he, thought the, he thought the 3DO was PC compatible. Oh, what? Not understanding what the idea and how much labor goes into actually porting a game from one machine to another. It, that never occurred to him. Then he was going on a press tour telling people about all these new levels and new monsters and new music that was going to be in the game, what? despite the fact that no one had actually started work on this game. And that while he had somebody out there draw new new weapon art, um, there was nobody behind it to tell whether or not his ideas were sound. So when I started working on the game, he started sending me all these new um, pictures of a weapon, and he expected me just to take the JPEG of a weapon, just by putting the JPEG on the CD, nothing else. The weapon should automatically animate, move, and have firing effects for the weapon, as well as how it interacts with the world, just by putting the JPEG in. What? what, what, what it's preposterous. It's, 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 it's crazy. Do you remember how you saw those ads for some uh, cheap video game college was saying like, hey, how's the game? We're just tightening up the graphics and stuff like that. It's like, it's that level of ignorance. Like, anybody in the game industry would just say, tightening up the graphics? Whoever would say that, <laughs> let alone do it, you know, saying that you're playing the video game and you're saying, I'm tightening up the graphics. How? You're playing the game. You're not tightening up anything. This is the same level of uh, ignorance is the best way I would describe it. It's just one where this person had no idea how video games were made and was making these grand assumptions that had no connection to reality. I am just shocked at that. And how long did you spend with Contraband? About four years. About four years. Okay. And then... You're a hired gun at Sony, at Amazon. How, how does this work? You, you're just traveling all over the place, helping out other companies? After we've done a bunch of games, uh, and 3DO went bankrupt because they were our biggest client, that put us in a big lurch. Mm -hmm. So we were kind of like in a famine stage instead of feasting. I had to lay off most of my staff. There was only a couple people left. But then Electronic Arts came knocking and saying, hey, we've got this game called Medal of Honor Rising Sun. And if you have a PS2 dev kit and a pulse, show up for work here. So we gave them a rate and they said, sure. And myself and a programmer went over there and we set up a little office we put up at EA. And we even put a sign out front saying contraband entertainment. And we started working on just fixing bugs in Medal of Honor Rising Sun. Well, by the time that we were already one week into the project, we were fixing so many bugs that they just said, you know what, don't even bother code reviewing. Just Fix the bug, check it in. Fix the bug, check it in. It's okay. And so when we were done after six weeks and they were ready for ship date, we had logged more bug fixes than even most of their own, the people who actually worked on the game. Well, that's when EA came to, came to me and says, well, so we really want to buy Contraband Entertainment, but how much would it cost to buy your employees and to buy you? And yeah. I then I said, well, we're really not for sale. So here's a job offer. And I look at the money, amount of money they were offering you to pay me. I'm like, well, that's more money than I've been earning for quite some time. Sure. <laughs> and with that, I then said, hey, everybody, I suggest that we take these job offers you know, because it'll give me enough money to just close down contraband with no debt or anything like that. So it, well, there was no bankruptcy at all with contraband. 
It wow. was just like, okay, I was able to close it down, pay all my vendors, pay all my debts, even let the lease lapse, which made my landlord happy. So I have a standing offer with uh, the landlords in Irvine, California saying, anytime you want to rent a space, just call <laughs> us. You you didn't bankrupt on us like everyone else does. You actually yeah. paid your um, your lease. <laughs> but uh, with that, um, I went to work for Electronic Arts. I was there for like about three years. Um, that's where I worked on Battle for Middler 2, Godfather, Middle Bar European Assault, Command and Conquer 3, uh, Red Alert, um, stuff like that. But then afterwards, um, Microsoft came calling and so forth. And I went to work at the Microsoft Advanced Technology Group because they liked the stuff I did on Xbox. Uh, years later, I got called to go work at Sony at the Advanced Technology Group, working on a prototype of a thing called Orbis, which we now know today as the PlayStation 4. I worked at a place called Cruise, where I did um, self-driving cars. And then later on, of all places, my most recent one I was working with was Roblox where I worked there for like about 18 months doing updates to their Lua interpreter and just putting out the fires. It's really the best way to describe working at Roblox. It's just put out this fire, put out that fire, make certain everything stays running because the game was already written and stuff. There was nothing really for me to do creatively. I just needed to make certain that it was always working great so that people had a fun time playing uh, Roblox games. So after that, you start moving around to different companies and all these companies start benefiting from your genius level innovation your experience and what led you to start the company old school it was after sony um that was back in 2012 what had happened was that sony brought me on to work on the advanced technology group but then there was a, a year later there was a layoff um so in 2013 i found myself out of a job and at this point i said you know what i don't really want to go back to working again I want to go back to being my own boss, owning my own company, owning my own IP, stuff like that. And of course, I still own everything from Contraband Logic Work. So with that, I rolled it into a new company, got together with three other women who all felt the same way. Like, we're all like, we're all women. No one wants to hire us because we're all women. And that's where we came up with old school. Hence Love the it. fact that we were all old school. <laughs> Love it. And of course, today, I'm doing stuff uh, with Oculus. Of course, I can't divulge anything more than that. I understand. Amazing. We, we, yeah. It's, of course, it's amazing. If, if she's on it, of course, it's gonna, it's gonna be amazing. Yep. All I can say is that you should buy an Oculus Quest too. It's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly what we're going to do. But old school's still around. I'm still doing stuff with old school, so I can announce to you guys we're going to be publishing a game called Lawless Legends. It'll be coming out in about a month and a half, maybe two months. We're just getting stuff together because. It will be a boxed game. It will be available on Steam as well. But it's an Apple II game, which is a Bard's Tale-like RPG set in the Wild West. Oh, my God. That's amazing. And That's... it was developed by a, guys, a group of guys call themselves the 8-Bit Bunch. One of them you may know. His name is Seth. Um, and he goes by the moniker 8-Bit Weapon. I think Brandon did the programming and a lot of their design. We actually hired a Native American consultant in order for us to verify that we are being respectful of Native American lore. That's wonderful. Um, the game box will include things like a little bag of gold, a sheriff's badge, um, actual floppy disks for the Apple II, but it will have a USB stick, which will have the games so you can play it on your PC and Mac. It'll be through an emulator, of course. Um, and, you know, train tickets and some other little, you know, infocomish style stuff that you expect out of old school gaming. Old school gaming. Oh, yeah. wow. 
What a wonderful experience. That's gold right here. Of course, it's just gravel. I mean, come on, let's be real. <laughs> and it's still so fun. You got the bags here, and of course, you know, the map, um, oh, stuff like that, done there. But uh, look for it soon. We're going to be make, putting up the demo up on Steam probably in a week or two. And then about a month or two later, it'll be the full game up on Steam. And then we're going to be um, putting up for sale the actual, what we call the collector's edition, which is going to be the full box set, um, shrink wrapped, ready to go. So put it up on your shelf and uh, take the floppy disk and put in your Apple II, or put the USB yeah. stick to your Mac and have fun and, and uh, relive some Forest Tale-like adventures in the Wild West. Wow. We are, well, put us down for two. That's, that's, we're definitely going to get that. That's incredible. Yeah, the website is lawlesslegends.com. Lawlesslegends.com. All right. Oh, wow. That is so terrific. If we could reflect back on all these amazing stories you shared with us and, you know, all the ones that you still haven't, your amazing career that continues to blossom, continues to uh, show us some old school stuff, which is amazing. (laughs) What would you say? would be some advice for someone who's starting their own company or starting their own game. You see a lot of this on Kickstarter, Indiegogo. People are trying to develop their own game. A lot of people doing, you know, 8-bit stuff and 16-bit stuff. But do you have any advice for people that are that are doing their first first round? Well, the first round of gaming, the biggest problem you have, of course, is just really devoting your time just to make the game. Just don't say no. Don't take no for an answer. Just take your time, make the game, uh, create your art, so forth. Now, of course, if you are lacking in certain skills, like let's say you're a great programmer but can't draw, well, then you're going to have to collaborate with an artist and vice versa. If you're a great artist can do great scenes, but you really can't code, work with a programmer. It's rare, but there are people who can do both. Once the game is up to the point where it's a prototype where you can actually play most of the game all the way through, that's when you can either look at one of two things. Showing it off as a demo, maybe doing a Kickstarter to... Um, either finish the game or to get packaging if you want to even go that route. Or you can partner up with a publisher of some kind to work with you on advertising the game because here's the problem. Once you finish your game and it's ready for sale, but you've never partnered with anybody, once you put it up on Steam and good old games, no one's going to know what your game is. You might be lucky if you sell 50 copies because advertising, you need to then spend most of your time advertising the game, showing up at trade shows like PAX, um, Gamescom, if you're in Europe and so forth, wherever your local areas are, and just get the game out there. Let people know. Stream the game. Get uh, popular streamers to stream your game. Of course, if your game sucks, you're going to have a hard, a hard time. But if your game actually pretty cool, then it's an easier time. If you partner up with a publisher, like in our case, when we partnered up with 8 we already know about the publishing arm and stuff like that. So we're basically working with them in which we're publishing it. We're getting it out of the stores. We're the ones coughing up all the money for these boxes. And trust me, those are not cheap. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. You know, our thing is that we're just getting advertising out. Like here at the blog, I'm, um, having uh, a shout out to the game, which is something that get more people knowing this game exists so that when the game's out for the demo and then eventually the full game for sale, we can then make the initial sales. Another thing also is that when you run your own video game studio, there's a big problem you have is you gotta learn to delegate. You can't do it all. Like here's an example. One of my most boring jobs at running old school 
is the accounting. You know, every few weeks I have to pull up the spreadsheets and the QuickBooks and stuff like this is where this money goes. This is where this money goes. Oh, it's the quarter. I got to do the tax return. Well, I'm, you know, recently I just hired someone to do that. Job. Now, granted, it wasn't a full-time employee. It's just like an accounting firm. So, you know, they, I send them a check every every quarter, you know, a couple hundred bucks. Um, and they just take care of the stuff for me so that I don't have to waste my time dealing with that. And, of course, there's like taxes. Like in the case of selling uh, Lawless Legends, I've already decided I'm just going to have Amazon sell it to Amazon Fulfillment. There's sales tax laws. So, like, hmm, I'm going to sell maybe a thousand copies of the box set, I hope. Maybe it might sell more, maybe it sell less. I don't know, but I'm going to shoot for a thousand. But if I sell copies in Wisconsin, I sell copies in Maryland, I sell copies in Texas, every state has a different um, tax rate and tax form. I'm like, yeah, I could do that myself. But, you know, why don't I just pay a little bit of money to Amazon? Mm-hmm. And, yes, I'm losing money, quotes, um, to Amazon because they're charging me a fee to do this. But you know what? They're going to do it. And I know the paperwork's going to be done right. All they have to do is just take the net amount and then dole it out between myself and the 8-bit guys. You know, despite the fact you're spending money on this, it's one where I don't have to do this job. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Waste brain power, heart power. There's accounting. There's tax collection. There's paperwork for your corporation. There's paper, you know, vendors to deal with. And all this mundane stuff has nothing to do with making a video game. And these are things that you really need to just say, you know what, I've got to pay somebody else to do this because while you can probably do it, do you want to spend those hours working on your books or do you want to spend those hours working on your next game? Next game. Your next game. Right. Yeah. I mean, like as soon as Lawless Legends is out, um, because right now they're just finishing debugging the game. They're playing the game from start to finish, start to finish. Because, you know, as I told them, we can't send updates on floppy disks. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a very or, good point. Or um, like the old days, old school, you have to have a QA department who's just playing the game from start to finish and fix all the bugs, start to fix, because the game's been done for a while, but it's people playing start to finish. Oh, I found that this is bug. Okay, got to fix the bug. Because once we go into production, in which I have an Apple II with a disk duplication software, and I'm making these copies. That's it. We're done. This is yeah. not. If there's a bug, it's now labeled a feature. Ship it. Um, <laughs> what would you say are the best resources that have helped you along the way? A lot of people they some some start with money. Some start with uh, you know just kind of like a, an edginess to themselves, style. Uh, but what would you say was your best resource that has helped you this entire time through your career? You know, it's different for everybody. I'm just going to tell you mine, which is an insatiable thirst for knowledge mm. in which when I learned 6502, I didn't stop there. I then immediately went to learn Z80. Then I went to learn 8086. Then I went to learn 65816. Then I learned 6809. Then I was 68,000. Then I learned C. Then I well, it's K and RC. Then I learned C99. Then C, you know, C++, uh, Lua, um, Python. I just kept learning. So every one of these skills I now possess, which then sometimes I'm back to writing in Lua, sometimes I'm writing in Python, sometimes I'm writing in C++, sometimes in assembly, all these skills, you just keep building more and more skills. That is what gave me the ability to be the programmer that I am today, which is now a programmer who's in demand. 
because people are saying, yeah, most people can know how to script or write code in Unity and C Sharp, but it takes a real exceptional programmer to be able to say, hey, could you write a video game engine? He says, yeah, I can do that. Um, there's not that many programmers who can say that. Most of them says, oh, yeah, I know how to do shaders. Or I know how to do the audio system. I said, but can you do it all? Like, not very many. When it comes to game design, it's like, hey, I've got this great idea for game design. That's fine. Throw it together in Unity or Unreal because that way you can just quickly get the idea up and running and see whether or not this idea actually works. And then after you get a playable prototype and you think the game's real fun, this is where you really need to test it. Have a friend who knows nothing about your game play it. And if the person can't figure it out in the next 15 seconds, there's something wrong with your game design and you got to figure out why. If the person in 15 seconds is saying, having a great time, going, this is great, this is fun, and don't need any coaching from you. I mean, the moment you have to coach someone, you've lost. Once you fix all these issues, find somebody else who has never played your game, have them play the game. Keep repeating until finally get to the point where everybody who plays your game says, this is fun, I can learn it in 15 seconds to get the idea what's going on, and having fun. At this point, says, now we got something. Finish this game, and trust me, finishing the game is actually much, much harder than starting it up. For the gamers out there that also play Space Invaders or maybe have a game that they're really, really good at, is do you still play? Do you still? Yeah. You I still, still play. Six hundred. I mean, if you look at this video, there's right there. <laughs> I'm pointing at. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I have it hooked up downstairs um, to our TV through the composite video in, and once a month. I would put in slot racers or um, space invaders. The other game I really like is Laser Blast. It too is kind of um, repetitive, um, but it's just fun because I only play it for like about 10 minutes at most. I start it up, play for 10 minutes, have them blast, and then I go put on Netflix. <laughs> well, do you, do, you, uh, um, do you prefer those games to like all the new games or the newer graphics and all the stuff? You know, Do you prefer uh, playing the old school ones? Yeah, I do. Because like when I'm playing some games like um, Medal of Honor or uh, Call of Duty, the recent ones, um, I find that the people there are too competitive. So I go on there and I just want to go ahead and look at the scenery. I just want to see all the beautiful graphics. And then someone shoots me in the head. And <laughs> okay, that's fun. I start trying to play, but they're all expecting me to be at expert level on the games. Like I just want to slowly enjoy the game, take my pace on it, and then they boot you off the server. It's like, okay, well, that was fun. And of course, you know, many of those games don't have single player versions, which is what makes me say, well, if there's no single player version, just for me to have fun. Like a good example of a game I do like is Halo because mm -hmm. I play a single player version. And sometimes I'm not really, you know, I mean, they tell me I'm supposed to go to this new checkpoint. I'm standing there just enjoying the scenery, just looking at all the graphics and enjoy and taking into um, appreciating all the labor it took to make all that art. Uh, and then I go to the next room and kill everybody and then <laughs> take a picture, look around, see the beautiful art. They go to the next room and kill everybody. <laughs> but at least I'm taking my own time because I just want to appreciate the game. So that's what I do. And the other game I tend to also play is my guilty pleasure is Geometry Wars. I, love, I still love playing that. Geometry Wars 3 is the one I like playing. I love Geometry Wars. It's 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 incredible. I, I, I sometimes go blind playing it, though, when you get too far into it. It's just so much... So much stuff. So many explosions. Yeah, so many explosions. Yeah, absolutely. And there's two things I want to promote. Um, for one, Lawless Legends coming out for the Apple II soon. Uh, about um, 
around May, early May. Um, LawlessLegends.com, uh, one word. Um, it'll be up on the old school website shortly, but Lawless Legends is the definitive website. Um, it'll be up on Steam, Good Old Games, and the Apple uh, App Store soon. Um, and of course, old school, O-L-D-E-S-K-U-U-L.com is our gaming website. And also you can follow us on Twitter at old school. And if you want to follow my shenanigans about whatever stuff I'm doing, um, it's Burger Becky, like hamburger, B-U-R-G-E-R -E Becky. And that's on YouTube, Twitch, and Twitter. So follow me on those pa uh, panels so you can see my uh, video um, podcast called uh, Burger Time which I just go ahead and rant and tell you the story of doom in graphic detail and <laughs> um, other development stories of battle stories from hell. And of course my Twitter page is where I just give us some of my usual uh, bad jokes, puns, and some going on of what I'm doing in the programming world. It's just so much wealth of information and excitement that we've learned from you today. Uh, Rebecca Ann, thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you very much. For talking with us, for hanging out with us. Uh, it's just been a real, a real honor. Thank you. Sorry, well, thank you very much. I hope you have a great day. You thank too. Bye-bye. Take care.